0: Hello my beauties welcome back my guest today is none other than dj fat tony now you might have seen a video from mixmag floating around on facebook or youtube with millions of views about this dj fella who came up through london in the 80s and 90s and is the best known dj you've never heard of and spent a million pounds on drugs and all this sort of stuff and the documentary is phenomenal it's linked in the show notes below and you should check it out after you've listened to this episode but today we get to sit down with one of the most fascinating stories behind a DJ career that I've ever heard. And we get to go through everything. So from being one of the biggest DJs in London's house music scene to running some of the best-known events in the UK, group sex with Freddie Mercury, pills in Hong Kong, and birthdays on Concord. Uh, I probably could have got like 10 episodes out with him. But I absolutely love this. It is such a wonderful insight into a golden era of clubbing in the UK and also a really nice story of redemption and, and finding what true happiness means in a life that's been beset with a lot of sort of hedonic pleasure. Um, it's really, really good. And I love Tony. He's just such a great dude. Um, yeah, th- this episode's fantastic. I really hope that you enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by. Crafted London, finding men's jewelry that doesn't suck is very difficult and Crafted London have nailed it. They're the number one men's jewelry company worldwide. They're sweat-proof, waterproof, heat-proof all in one place. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com modern. That's netsuite.com modern to get your own KPI checklist today. If you want more focus in your life or if you find yourself dealing with an energy slump in the middle of the day where you just don't have the motivation to stay productive, fear not because I do too which is why I spent more than a year creating the world's first productivity energy drink, Newtonic. Honestly, I'm so proud of this. I was involved in the design stage from the very beginning, and we made sure to only include the most heavily researched and evidence-based ingredients in the world at efficacious doses to create the most potent fuel for your focus ever made. It uses a science-backed formula of nootropic ingredients, including Cognizin for focus, Panax ginseng to reduce distractions, and L-theanine to remove any jitters and keep you feeling great. We've got thousands of five-star reviews, and you can see exactly why by trying it for yourself right now with free next-day delivery on Amazon Prime in the UK and the USA. Simply head to newtonic.com slash Wisdom. That's N-E-U-T-O-N-I-C.com slash modern wisdom. But for now, it's time for the wise and wonderful Fat Tony. DJ Fat Tony in the building. How are you, man?
1: I'm okay. I'm good. I've uh, I've been, yeah, I'm actually all right today. I've been ill for the last few weeks, but I'm okay. I'm good now. You had the Rona? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I kind of. I kind of was like, I went for a whole week of thinking, oh, this is all right. I can do this. Uh, it was kind of a mild flu bad chest, uh, but I was wise enough to ask my, well, my doctor decided he wanted to put me on steroids for my chest, because I have a bad chest anyway, uh, so thankfully I took the steroids uh, On the then it went away on the Thursday, and I thought, yeah, I feel really good, Friday night, boom, temperature 40, 40 in the 40s, for four days and four nights the worst fever uh, it went into my chest, I was breathless it was awful yeah, That's it was really harsh. awful. That's yeah, it, but it, it, Feeling a,
0: good now? Feeling.
1: Yeah, I'm okay. I'm just taking it easy. Do you know what I mean? I'm in no rush to go anywhere. So it's not a problem. But yeah, thank God I had it mild. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Uh, so my my first question is, why, why are you called Fat Tony when you're not fat?
1: Uh, that old tired old question. Uh, I, when I was a kid, I was a fat kid. I got fat about the age of fourteen to sixteen. Uh, kind of, it was a coping mechanism for what I was going through. Uh, so I, I kind of, you know, put on loads of weight as if you know, as a barrier between other people and me, because I, I kind of went through a lot of it, there was sexual abuse at an earlier age. So I kind of just got fat as a protection. So, you know, it was one of those names that people called, kind of whispered behind your back. So I just kept it. You yeah. know, I
0: lost my weight at 16, and that was it. It's yeah. interesting that two years of being fat, like, mm. ages ago, has brand- yeah. branded you for the rest of your life.
1: Yeah, you know, it's one of those things people go, oh, you should change your name. And it's like, why would I change my name? It's taken me around the world seven times. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's I've made a career out of that name. I'm not going to change it. I think there was a a year and a half in the 80s where I changed it to Fat Ph80. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I went all hip-hop for a week, but uh, yeah, no.
0: Yeah. So um, I first heard of you, as some of the people listening may have done, through this recent Mixmag documentary which has come out, which is absolutely phenomenal. And I know, I, hey, I'm... I, have you been I,
1: living under stone in Newcastle? I, look... But no Wi-Fi.
0: There is. <laughs> we are currently in the 1800s, and we're hoping to get the wheel and fire yeah. and, and operating running water soon. I um, but, I mean, in my defense, they referred to you, this is Mixmag referred to you, as the most famous DJ you've never heard of.
1: Yeah, the reason that, was, that name came about was because Seb, who works for Mixmag, who he'd never heard of me, and he was from Cornwall. So, you know, and and I actually said to him at the time, you know, the reason you've not heard of me is because you you're from Cornwall, you don't you live in it, live under a stone in, in like a wooden shack, you know what I mean? You probably haven't even got a smartphone. Uh, but yeah, so that's why we called it that because I don't really like that. I like the fact that people haven't heard of me, but mm. you know, in my world, everybody's heard of me.
0: Well, I, I don't, it didn't it doesn't surprise me at all. But I think you know. To touch on the way that industries work, especially nightlife, right? People, especially from outside of the country, might look at the UK and just be like, "Oh my god, it's just a speck." It's a, it's a state in America, Sorry. right? But the, especially with partying, because party culture is so big in the UK. It is there are you can go from here to Middlesbrough, where I'm originally originally from, yeah, forty five miles away and the is different the music policies are different the the type of events are different the promoters you know there's no crossover so it it the little microcosms they they don't surprise me
1: yeah so. i mean you know come on i don't expect everybody to know who i am because you know the the industry the, the, but the thing about it was was because you know my career shifted in so many different areas throughout my career um and right now i've been mean, the last few years I've been working with fashion and all of that stuff. So, you know, I, I I kind of, the clubs, I got to this level where the clubs, I would still do clubs. They don't pay the money that I could get from, I like can command for doing, you know, working for Victoria Beckham or Versace or any of those brands I work with. So, I, you know, the whole idea of calling it the, the most famous DJ I've never heard of was, because, it, it, you know, it, it was about tapping back into that other market mm. that I hadn't been a part of for a while.
0: Yeah, I mean... It looks like everyone that's listening will know the local DJ that has a couple of residencies a week or maybe, you know, three, four residencies a week at good events. And it looks great, but it's a fucking grind, you know? Like all of my buddies, all my buddies are resident DJs working yeah. three or four nights a week, finishing I've done, four in the morning, you know, grinding it out. It's hard work. Yeah, but,
1: you know, I've done that for a lifetime. Do you know what I mean? And now I've got to this level of, of contentment within my career that I – I've learned that there's a really beautiful thing about saying no. And it's a really powerful thing to say no without explanation. I don't need I don't need to explain why I'm saying no anymore. And I, you know, I turned down so many different types of gigs because they're not where I want to be right now. I don't need to be getting up at, at five in the morning to go to work. Do you get know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. That's really not me being uh, obnoxious or taking it for granted for what I got. But you know what? I kind of, You know, I'd rather do bigger than than smaller on some levels. Don't get me wrong, I I do so, so many different types of parties and, and events and if they appeal to me, I'll do them. It doesn't matter how much money it is or whatever, but you know, just got to that stage where I don't really do residencies anymore because I find that when you become a resident, you become a piece of furniture and you get treated like furniture. You know, the special, the, the the whole feeling of being special and and different is gone because you're, you're suddenly there every week. So people take you for granted. You, there's no amazement about it. Do you get what I mean? I couldn't like, more. You, you just go there and people go, oh, he's there again. Yeah, I heard him last week.
0: Well, you're part and for of, me, it's like the bar staff. You know, you're just yeah. one of the bar staff, one of the
1: glass collectors. Yeah, totally. And for me, I don't want to be that anymore.
0: I can totally get that. There's a cool quote that I heard the other day about uh, saying no. And it was that... um. By saying no, you're only saying no to one thing. Mm. By saying yes, you are saying no to everything else.
1: Because you know what I, I learned Chris, is like that. I will say yes to something that I don't want to do, and then I will I get so much anxiety around that. That one thing, that one thing will keep me awake for three or four nights. Uh, I will fret and, and, you know, I will get work myself up to this place, right? And then what I'll do is the day before, I'll pull a sickie. Or the day. Do you know what I mean? And I just think... I, who, then you, you feel not, guilty. Like, after you, you felt anxious, so, now you feel guilty. You feel you're like you've let yourself down, you're letting other people down. So there's something really simple. You know, as an addict, I have people pleased quite a lot throughout my life. And I don't need to do that today. Today, I need to please one person, that's myself. And if I'm happy,
0: everybody else is happy. Man, that's so much more holistic. But, I like
1: But, it. you know, and with the film, you know, with that mixed may feel, I really thought no one was ever going to watch it. I, I, you know, it, it started off as an interview for Mix Mag, um, and in in the interview, I said, "Oh, you know, it's only taken you thirty-five years to catch up," and uh, you know, because the, the, everyone they've had on their, well, the majority of people they've had on their covers in that thirty-five years are probably stacking shelves right now. Do you get what I mean? And whereas I've kind of continued through, and you know, and then the boys at Mix Mag, the interview came out. It got a really big, really great reception and then they said oh we really want to do an online thing with you the next day I was like yeah fine let's do it so we went off and did it and then two days later they came back and they were like oh you know what we want to we want to do something bigger and I was like fine you know I really like the guys Seb and Louis they were great really good fun to work with you know I kind of just like their cheekiness you know because each day they'd do an interview with me and then they'd throw these questions in at the end like on one day, uh, Seb kind of was we'd done, we'd finished filming, and then Seb was like, Oh, just one last question. And I was like, What? And he'd be like, What was Freddie Mercury like in bed? And I was like, I don't know, there were seven other people there. <laughs> know, like simple little banter like that. And that's kind of just like the magic of what the film came out like, you know. They, they brought it to my house to show me. And uh, and I was, you know, and I kind of was like, Oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to watch it. Because, you know, it's. It's the, the thing about it is it's the truth, and the truth hurts. So it's really hard sometimes to watch the truth in black and white or, in, or on screen or read it. And uh, they, they showed me, and it made me cry. It, made, it Each time I watch it, there's parts in it that make me cry because, you know, it, it really it, it hits a nerve. And they showed me the film, and they were like, I started to cry, and they were like, did you, you like it? And I was like, yeah, they were like, is there anything you want to change? And I was like probably 95% of it but (laughs) but it's your film and and you know what I I respect it's your film and you know what no I don't want to change it I didn't want to change anything you know apart from the end I wanted them to big me up a little bit more (laughs) in the in in the uh, in the uh, in the the, uh, what he's doing
0: now type thing
1: yeah because they kind of just put a few things and I was like no you might as well stick it all in and then I was like, actually, no, don't stick it all in. Do you know what I mean? It Doesn't need to all be there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was kind of one of those. So we just left it as it was. And you know what? It's had nearly three million views. It's three insane.
0: Mi- it's it's three million. Phenomenal. It's,
1: it, mental, man. it's
0: so good. So again, if you haven't seen it, it'll be linked in the show notes below. So once we've finished, mm. uh, once you finish listening to the podcast, go and check it out. It is absolutely amazing. It's like the, one of the first long form Facebook videos I've seen with like a couple of million views as well. Which mm. so, uh, just yeah. unbel- unbelievable so yeah the, i mean the, the blew bo- me away the bottom line is that your story resonates with a lot of people it's interesting and intriguing to mm. a lot of people so i want to give you an opportunity to kind of delve into that and obviously yeah guys, show, yeah, show yeah, people man. that haven't seen it what that story is and then go further with with it as well so where do we start with your career
1: where do you want to start with my career at, <laughs> at, the, at
0: the beginning yes
1: well please. you know i uh, i I used to work on the door of a nightclub. I, I mean, I started going out at a really young age, started going out at the age of 14 uh, to nightclubs. Uh, got kicked out of school at 14, went to work in a place in Kings Road, which is in Chelsea, which at that time, people walked up and down all day long on Saturdays. It was like, it was like social media. So the likes of where well, I met Boy George, I met all, most of my friends would be walking up and down that road because punk had just come from that from from kings road chelsea so it was the next big the next best thing the next next biggest thing so the photographers would always be there it was like kind of a place to go and be photographed so i got a job working there and then we started hanging out with met all my friends um made new friends obviously it made loads of a whole new circle of friends and we started going out clubbing and i would uh you know i would I had a mouth, I could get what I wanted. I was the most obnoxious person you'll ever meet, and you know I was always in somebody's face, so people just gave me what I wanted and so I had this job on this door of a club called the Lyce- at the Lyceum where Lion King's playing at presently in London. It's a big theater, and I was working on that door, and each week I would moan about the music for no reason. No reason at all, just moaned about it. And the guy, mm. Rusty, who run the club said to me, oh, if you can do better, bring your own tracks. And that was it. I kind of went with four records the next week. And uh, within a month, I was in New York playing how, how DJ. How old are you at th- this point? I was, uh, at that point, I was 16. Yeah, 16, coming on 17, yeah. And uh, it, literally, that was it. Uh, three weeks down the line, I'd started a, a new night on a Tuesday with my friend, Stephen Lennard, uh, a club called the Wag Club. and. We we did a night called Total Fashion Victim, and it kind of just spiraled from there. You know, I kind of within yeah, as I say, within a month, month and a half, I had a residency in New York at the Palladium, and it's kind of just all went. So that, yeah,
0: that first period there, from some fella on the door, some guy, lad on the door of a venue, to yeah. to being a guy with four records, to having a residency in New York. <laughs> yeah, that I mean that's the. That's the liftoff, I think, that's probably most dramatic, right? Like, if you're actually looking at it.
1: Kind of, just it was in you know, London was a much different place back then. You know, it it had a a nucleus of of the way, which was the West End, which is Soho. And that was it. So that was the clubbing mecca area. So everybody knew each other. London was a really exciting, creative time. We didn't have social media. So everybody went out. And going out was where you met people. And, you know... um, so, everybody knew each other, and, and everyone at that point, London was like the place to be. Everyone in New York wanted to be in London, and and then everyone and all the clubs in New York wanted people from London. So, it just kind of all fell into place. And you know, yeah, I was, it literally happened so quickly, it's just like literally mad.
0: So, you got flown to New York by who? I
1: go to New York every two weeks. By who? by uh by steve rubel who owned who used to own studio 54. He, he went they got rid of 54 and then they opened this new super club called palladium there and you had schrager schrager owned like area the other club down the road and all of those clubs so i kind of got in with all that lot it was kind of really mad yeah you know?
0: yeah that's insane what's it feel like as a 16 year old flying to new york to play records having well, been a dj for a month it,
1: it was kind of um actually it was about i was about 17 because i remember i went to New York, the uh, on my birthday, my 18th on Concord, and then I got a taste. Of and then I stopped doing the Palladium for a few months, and then they wanted me back, and I said, "I'm only coming if you fly me on Concord." And they actually flew me on Concord, and I was just like thinking, "Oh my god, you bunch of wankers!" It was, like, <laughs> you know I mean? But it was kind of just, you know what? It was kind of just that's what it was like in those days. Do you know, suddenly we didn't have superstar DJs before that. Do you know what I mean? And it was kind of just. It's it all, it all about being in the, in the right place at the right time with the biggest mouth.
0: Well, you now, were positioned based on the brand that London had. Mm. You were given an unfair advantage there, right? You had competitive advantage because you were totally. the British DJ that's come over and, you know, they can – you, you don't have – there's no fact-checking, right? You can't no, go on no, your no. SoundCloud and say, actually, you no. shit and, and 12. Of
1: course not. Of course not. They didn't give a shit because you know all it wanted, all they wanted was the, the word London, and they wanted the, the the Wag Club or any of the other venues that I played at. So kind of that's how it was, you know. they what you 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 had nothing to fall back on apart from your, the, your last set. Do you get know what I mean? And and I kind of yeah, it was mad. So what mean, of course, What were you playing? I was playing early house. Yeah, house. It kind of started off with things like Luther Vandross and. Uh, you know Chucka Khan and all of that stuff. At that was out at that time, and then kind of progressed slowly into we'd play old disco, and then from old disco it went into early house, the early
0: you know Chicago stuff. What and, year? You know, what year are we talking here?
1: Um, I should know this stuff. I'm ready, but uh, we're talking. So I was eighteen, so I'm I'm 55 now this year. So work
0: it out yourself. 55 to 20. Okay, so you're talking like late 80s, early 90s, I guess? Early 90s. So, I mean, you know, for the people listening that are house heads, you know, that love defected and and good, like, quality modern, I guess, modern house brands, um, that is seen as one of the glory periods, right, for the the development of house?
1: It totally was. You know, I used to go to Sound Factory. I used to go to Paradise Garage. I was, you know, a a regular at that garage. And, you know, I had an amazing time, you know. And it's like I was the first one, me and my friend Steve Swindles were the first person ever to bring Frankie Knuckles to London to get him to play. So we brought him over and he played with us at this club called Jungle, which we did on a Monday. Um, Yeah, so kind of, you know, there was none of that whole... My God, we've got this person, we've got that person at that point in time. That came a few years later when everything suddenly got a lot bigger. Do you know what I mean? At that point we had Larry Levan, who was classed as a superstar DJ because he played at Paradise Garage. You know. But it kind of as you got to meet these people, you realise that they weren't superstars. They were just people having fun, taking a lot of drugs and having a really good time.
0: Yeah. Do you
1: know what I mean? Like myself. Yeah. You know, unlike the, most of those people, I didn't know when to stop.
0: Okay, so we've got we've touched on one of the uh, defining characteristics, I suppose, of your early DJing career. Yeah. Um, what can you remember? Your first drug. Uh
1: my first drug, yeah. It was my first thing the drug I ever took was cocaine poppers. I did pop, I Used to do poppers before that. You know, amyl nitrate. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah.
1: And then I kind of, I, I moved. On. I didn't even smoke at that point. I, I didn't smoke until I was 21. Uh, and then I remember the first time I ever took cocaine, I hated it. I actually hated the feeling. It made me feel really paranoid. Uh, and I thought, I'm never doing that again. And then I, one night I was outside heaven, which is in the movie, I tell you, in the film. That I And I, I met with uh, a gang of guys going into heaven, and one of them happened to be Freddie Mercury, and I uh, hung out with that lot. And then we all went back to their house in Holland Park, and um, and someone offered me cocaine, Freddie offered me a line of cocaine, and I was like, oh, I don't do it. I don't like it. And, of course, did it straight away. And uh, that was kind of it. That was my drug of choice. And, you know, it, then it, it, I didn't do it for a little while. I remember I didn't do it for about, I think about six, seven months, I didn't go near it again. And then there was a real major uh, heroin uh Thing going on in London. Majority of people in London and on the club scene were really big smackheads, and so I was kind of anti that anyway because all my friends were taking that. So you know, it was, it was inevitable that I was going to end up being a junkie. You know? it's, <laughs> it's, it's In my in, blood.
0: Yeah, I get it. I get it. So cocaine obviously is a, a good drug for people that are partying a lot. And how often were you going out? Was it seven nights a week? Was, was, it? was life was and partying just one one yeah. big sort of mesh?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I, I kind of suddenly—I—I I had no goals. I wasn't one of these people that thought, right, okay, in a year's time, I want to be this, and then I want to go on to progress to that. I never—I never had that. I was always, you know, I, like I always have been, in the moment, and I kind of just, you know, I—I just—I arrived clubbing was my life clubbing was everything suddenly you know i'd gone from being this inverted you know kind of shy hiding behind my fat hiding behind things to actually being discovering who i was and you know so clubbing was it was it was it become my life it became a job it became everything you know so i was out seven nights a week and you know slowly but surely though out of those seven nights so I, it would be three or four nights that i'd do drugs and then it would be five or six nights that I did drugs, you know. It was never ever a problem. The first
0: I didn't I never had a drug for for the first twelve years. It wasn't a problem. So until twenty eight sort of age? Mm, yeah.
1: Twenty seven it became a problem. I, mean, I, I remember getting I remember on my twenty seventh birthday, I remember saying to my mum, I don't want to live beyond twenty seven and my mum was like, Why? And I was just like, I had no I just thought 27 was like kind of the end of the road type thing. My mum was like, don't be so stupid. 27 <laughs> is one of the best years of your life. And I was just like, no, no, no. And of course, when I got to 28, I was gutted. <laughs> For some of reason, I was gutted that I didn't die when I was 27. Uh, like that, you know, I gave it a good fucking shot, I can assure <laughs> you. And I kind of just, and that's kind of when it all, kind of just like the drug taking, the, the, the drug use become abuse. It went from use to abuse. And I was started abusing drugs. I started, you know, I'd be up for four or five nights
0: on the trot, you know. So talking about the the years before drug use became abuse. Yeah. What was a typical week like? Talk talking me through a typical so week
1: So I would go out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night. You know, I would literally at that point in time I was still living in Battersea, which is where my mum and dad lived, which is just over the river which is central London. So it was, I mean, you know, I had it, it was, everything it took 10 minutes, 20 minutes in to get into Soho from my house. It's like, uh, so I kind of just, I would be out. And because I was living at home, I didn't ever, ever want to go home. I had all these illegal drinking clubs in Soho. So you would go to these illegal drinking clubs, like 79 one was called. And we had a club called the Pink Panther, which was a gay 24-hour illegal drinking club. And you'd go uh, about three in the morning and by 6 a.m. it would have been raided by the police. And you'd go out and you'd walk by the block and you'd go back in. And kind of that was just, that added to it. Everything was just like, you know, the thrill of the police raiding something. And, you know, so that would be like Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. Thursday oh, you're, you're, so you're, Friday. Not D, you're
0: not DJing through the week, early no, on in the week? No, not I DJ
1: on Tuesday. I was running my own night on Tuesday. At the WAG Club uh, at that point in time. And then I was running Saturday nights at the WAG Club as well. Uh, and at the time, the WAG Club was like the place to go. I mean, there would be a queue around like a three hour waiting to get in, like on a Saturday night. And we we basically were on the door up our nuts, saying, No, you can't come in. You can come in. We we're just getting whatever we wanted you're to do. You're and, uh, a cunt, and you're yeah, a cunt, and you're a cunt. Yeah, totally like that. Yeah. You know, and, uh, We'd say, sorry, you're, 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 you can't come in, you're off, you're not. <laughs> Coming like, to you
0: yeah, know, yeah, yeah. calling Cat. And, uh,
1: totally. <laughs> and uh, and taking Cat. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, it, it was uh, a pretty, uh, you know, so that was fr- Saturdays. And then what happened was a new club opened called The Limelight, which was opened in a big church. And in the 80s, it was like the place, the late 80s, early 90s, the place to go. And they basically brought me in. You know, yet again, I met with the owner called, a guy called Peter Gation. And they had these clubs all over, they had one in New York, which was the place to go, they, and they had one in Atlanta, and they wanted to open this one in London, it was on Sharsby Avenue in a disused church, and I remember having a meeting and saying, you need, to have, you need to employ me, and they were like, why? And I said, because if you don't, I'll just annihilate your, your club, and it's just like, the bullshit that would come out of my mouth. And these guys were like, yeah, yeah. So they employed me, <laughs> and within like within a month of working for them before it even opened, I'd become like the musical director of the limelight, and I was like on a retainer of ridiculous amounts of money. And it was at that point, you know, I had suddenly had all this money. I took like I had my own office. I was, you know, I I just turned eighteen. You know, I was kind of like just running so many different things and, and little projects and scams going on in London. And, you know, it kind of just, I got swept away with it. I got swept away with it, you know. I ha- I felt that I had to be there every night. I had to take the more drugs than everybody else. Uh, and it kind of just, you know, that kind of just become who I was. So it, was it was fucking awful.
0: Awesome. Speaking as someone who started Club Promotion in 2006, which is early by today's standards, but late by yours. Um, and me and my business partners started running events. And I've got a very similar story without the, the hectic drug use and, the, and the, the celebrities and Boy George and stuff like that, unless you count Geordie Shaw. Sure. Um, and. No, you don't. No, you don't. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I understand and I can speak from personal experience about what it's like to be a young guy who finds himself having never been in a position of authority or uh, being renowned, uh, potentially not being liked by people or or having people need you. And Mm. that sense very quickly can become your identity and you can wrap yourself around it. And what I found, slightly different to yours, um, me and my business partner, started associating, uh, or at least me, not not Darren, he's a lot more, he was a lot more stable than me. Uh, he's got two kids he's now. He's, he's completely unstable now. <laughs> he's got two, he's well, got two kids and two dogs. It's impossible for so, him. Out to pasture. Yeah, oh, for sure. Um, uh, what I did was I started associating my sense of uh, self-worth and um, well-being with the success of the business. Of course you do. Yeah. It, it seems like with you, perhaps it was to do with well, the depth of the partying, to do with well, the I level just, of renown.
1: It had become more about ego and the ego got so big because, you know, people were blowing smoke at my house. I couldn't do no wrong. I was having two nights a week, running two nights a week at the limelight with my name on. My name was everywhere. I'd suddenly gone from being this fat, obnoxious kid to being in the, in the Sunday papers. You know, I was suddenly in supplements. I was suddenly doing interviews and things, and it just like kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I kind of, you know, in those days, fashion had just come into play again. And I was like head showing to Jean Paul Gautier. You know, I was wearing everybody wanted to be to wear their clothes. It was insane. And you know, of course, you know, you you give you give something those that stuff to an 18-year-old, they don't know what to do with it.
0: It's going to lap up, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Exactly. I'm like, you know, it's like a fucking pig in shit. <laughs> you know, seriously. You no, know, I, I had no tools to deal with that. Do you know what I mean? I kind of just, you know, I, the only way I could deal with it was by taking loads of drugs and, and riding it. What did the dr- How did the drugs help? Well, the kind of the drugs kind of led me into this, like, false sense of, okay, they fed the ego. Mm. They fed the ego. They kind of took away the fear. You know, I, uh, you know, the fear of being found out. I've always suffered from imposter syndrome, you know, and I always had that fear of, oh my God, I'm gonna get seen, found out here, you know. Uh, and kind of, you know, the, the enjoyment of what I actually started off by doing, by DJing, you know, I kind of always, when I look back on it, I always think because it was never uh, a chosen job and it was never a chosen path, I think that's why I kind of de- tried to destroy it so much. Do you get know what I mean? It's mm. kind of was like, it wasn't something that I studied to do. I didn't set out to be that. I just kind of was just like, okay, this is what I've fallen into. I think certainly but, <clears throat> George, but- yeah, my, uh, George says it quite nicely in the film that when everybody else was off brand building, I was off partying. Everyone else was building a name for themselves. I was off just building parties. Do you know what I mean? And because I always had that fear of, uh of i i i always had a fear of success it's really weird the bigger i got the more destructive i got. so and i've always been like that i'm still like it today but today i kind of have it capped and i Mm -hmm. i work a program around it you know so there'll be areas where suddenly my career is going like this and then i'll be over here pouring paraffin on something to 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 create a smoke screen so that you can't really see who i am Mm -hmm. because it's you know it's it's a it's a it's a weird one and you know, at that point in time I got success was given to me on on such a, a, a massive scale. I mean, you know, I was doing T V stuff, I had a show on Kiss. I was doing oh, it was all there. It was all there. Yeah, and you know, and of course my mouth the way I was destroyed that. Do you know what I mean? I would remember I used Janet Streetport at that point was like head of BBC TV for youth and she gave me like this job. She, like, she'd lined up all this presenting stuff for me and she, as a part of the build-up to it, I'd have to go and outside concerts and vox pop where you'd stand outside concerts and say, hey, what, why have you come to see so-and-so, and, you know, all that rubbish. And I couldn't speak. I'd be so coaxed off my na. I couldn't speak and she'd come and take the mic off me and then like just send me home. And, you know, there was so many of those golden opportunities that I always thought, doesn't matter, I'll get it again. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of the ego had taken over. I suppose what, kind it, of, yeah.
0: what what the drugs do is they s- stop you from being able to ask or do that introspection. They don't mm. allow you to ask those questions because nah. they create a buffer between what you see inside and how you feel. And it means yeah. that you don't ever have to worry about, well, hang on, maybe I should feel... Anxious, upset, regretful, whatever about Janet Street Porter just saying that I blew it again or this not happening or that not happening or whatever. And obviously, you know, drugs are a, a pretty surefire way to stop you from ever having to feel feelings.
1: Totally, it changes the way I felt. Like all drugs, you know, we I I would take drugs to change the way I felt because I was never happy within who I was. You know, I never got to that point where I just think, Oh, you know what, your shit stinks. See, it does. I never ever got that feeling. I always had to cu- counteract the way I was feeling by taking those drugs or drinking on it, because I always felt less than. I never felt that I deserved the, the success that I had because it wasn't a chosen success. I never felt that um, I deserved to be where I was. Because it wasn't something I set out to do. It was something I fell on. Do you get what I mean? So, therefore, I, I kind of, like, cuckooed everybody else's nests, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of weird. You know, with that drug of choice, that like cocaine, it's kind of like – there's a really famous line that Mark Harmon once said was, that like, cocaine will get get you ready for the party, but it won't take you to the party. You know, so you'll spend 16 hours getting ready at home and you won't leave the flat.
0: And it's true. You know, I saw what it was like for me. Yeah. Was there never a – a concern with money, like I know you no. were getting paid a lot, but it sounds like you were sniffing even more. Never, I, 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 you know, I'd, I'd got myself to this
1: position where I was getting paid. You know, you got to remember at that point in time, we all become superstars. After that, the Oakenfolds, my whole circle of friends. If you go back and look at all those slides, there was Danny Ramplin, there was Mips of Paul Oakenfold, Sasha. All of, that, all of these DJs suddenly became. The biggest superstars, and we would be, i would be traveling up the motorway, down the motorway, playing all over the place for vast amounts of money, you know. And of course, I was on this massive retainer from the limelight and the likes of that. So it always went upwards. Do you get what I mean? And then suddenly, uh, you know, uh, I was getting record deals. I bought a house in in central London, which was incredible. It's called the, the cottage on Queen Square, very apt. And uh, you know, I had suddenly. I had this wealth, you know, I had so much money. I had so much
0: money. And you couldn't, sniff, and you just, weren't sniffing enough to, to not, make a dent in that?
1: Uh I was sniffing enough to make a considerable dent in it, but it always kept coming. So whatever I spent, I knew I was getting again. Uh, I, it was always like, you know, I remember that house that I talked to, you know, when I left that house, I got I, I got thrown out of that, lost that house. Uh, and the day that I left it, I left one mirror which was the mirror I used to, cut, to chop the lines on, mirror. left everything else there, just the TV, everything. And everyone was like, well, why are you not taking stuff We could. I was like, it's fine, i get it again. And it kind of was always that throwaway lifestyle that kind of just brought me to my knees in the end.
0: Yeah, very, very blasé. Again, it, it's weird, right, because only with the benefit of hindsight do we look at that version of Tony with sympathy right because at the Mm. time it must have been this guy's got it all sorted like he's got so much he's getting free drugs he's basically getting paid for being a dickhead like he's getting you know and totally it's what i think we need to see or people need to try and look with a little bit more nuance at young success you've got Mm -hmm. djs like avicii i'm friends with tons and tons of djs that are less avicii
1: you know avicii you know oh another one do you know what i mean just couldn't cope with success couldn't cope with the idiots because so, what happens is when we get to that 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 place we're not on our own we've got 30 other tickets with us and those other 30 tickets are telling you what you want to hear they're, they're filling you up you know what what happens is you know you, you have suddenly realized that you're the party and and when you when you get to that place where you think you're the party, everybody else thinks you're the party. So, you know, they fuel what your, your beliefs are. And because you're a way and means for them to get more. And, you know, the realization is the day that you get clean is the day that you realize you're not the party. Do you get what I mean? And, and you know, with people like Avicii, and they don't stand a chance. They didn't stand a chance.
0: Do you get what I mean? It was there. And, it you know, it's difficult. It's hard to say to people, "You should feel sorry for this young superstar who's worth all this money, who's got all these record those, deals." Those
1: people around him, what they didn't want it around him. But, you know, the the the, the 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 yes people that are pulling the strings that, that behind them that are supplying him with drugs. And the day that I remember speaking to him, he wanted to get clean, and you know, he started coming to meetings with us and stuff like that. And you know, the the, the powers that be behind that didn't want that. Man,
0: that's people so don't want that. So because
1: they can't control you. They can no longer control you. You know, it's Amy all written all over, all over again. You know, everybody pretends that they don't want you to be in that that position, but they can't. They, you're in that position because they can control you in that position. Do you get what I mean? Mm-hmm. I would stop traveling. I wouldn't fly anywhere, to, like, and unless I knew there was going to be what I wanted at the other end. And I remember one trip, I had to go to Hong Kong, and... Um, it was a big money job and I was like, I'm not going. And I remember getting to the airport and my manager was like, you've got to get on the plane. And I was like, I'm not fucking going nowhere. You know what I mean? I'd been up for three nights. I mean, I spank as well. And it was like, you've got to get on that plane. And I was like, I'm not going. And he literally made a phone call, a fake fucking phone call to this guy. And he got this guy say, yeah, I'll meet you off the airplane. I've got, I, you know, I've got an ape for you. And I was talking to this guy and I was like, okay, great. Got on the plane. The guy didn't even exist. It was somebody, one of his mates. So I go I end up in Hong Kong, and I was there for four days, five days, and um, I couldn't get any. I couldn't get my drug of choice, and all I could get was ease. <laughs> so I remember doing a fucking
0: untold ease. Hong and Kong then, ease in the nineties oh, must have Hong been Kong absolute ease. rocket fuel. Yeah,
1: fucking mental. And you know, and I ended up. I, I set fire to the hotel room, set fire. and like, yeah, I, I woke up. I was smoking in my hotel room and set by to the bed and I woke up in hospital covered in iodine, bright orange iodine. They'd covered me from red stone. I was like, where am I? And, it was like, and um, yeah, I tried to blame it on the light bulbs. I was like, no, it must've been the light bulbs around the mirror. And it was like fucking smoking in bed. But I'd, so, I'd literally so off my nut on ease. And after that, I was kind of just, thought, well, I'm not doing this again. Do you know what I mean? I'm not flying anywhere. And I would get to the airport and just decide, no, I'm going back to the dealer's house. So i would become a loose cannon. So people stop booking me, stop flying me out to places. Which for somebody of me like me at that point in time was, was great because I just thought, oh, I ain't gotta go anywhere. Good. Because I could still earn that money here.
0: And you want, you wanted the familiar mentalness of home, not the of unfamiliar course, mentalness of, of abroad.
1: You know, I had a triangle towards the end, which I always explain to people uh, when I meet them. You know, I had a, there was a triangle of addiction. It was, you know, uh, it, it, I would leave my house, I would go to the dealers. I would stay at the dealers, I would leave the dealers, go to work, go back to my house for two days, then go back. to the. That was the triangle. And it, then it was always alcohol, cocaine, cock. Cock, alcohol, cocaine—that was it. That was up the three. I could never do one without one without the other two. Yeah. And it was the same with it the same as, as my pattern. You know, uh, traveling or, or going out of my comfort zone, and then not towards the end. It had to be set in stone. I needed to know where I was going. And I needed to know that I was going to get what I wanted.
0: Isn't it Interesting that you're out of control in yeah. in some regards, mm. but completely over overly controlling of your own life in other regards
1: you know i would say it's my shit but you know it was my life was shit but it was my shit and it was like you know i i you know i could control the little that i had to control and that's all i needed to control Mm. anything beyond that going to the airport checking in getting on a plane fuck that why do i need to do that do you know i mean I'll just sell that or that house can go or this can go, that can go. And that was that was always a much easier option. You know, and I, I think towards the end of my using I was only happy when I had no money. Because I knew I wasn't I couldn't use. You know, I, I, I it'd be a Wednesday and I couldn't even afford a packet of cigarettes. But I knew Thursday I'd I'd be working again. Do you get what I mean? Mm. So for that for that Wednesday I would have there would be some ease in this disease. That enabled me to sleep, all right, and just think, okay. I I say, I don't need to leave the house today.
0: So you, you said that your drug of choice was cocaine. Was that yeah. pretty much predominantly what it was, or? Oh
1: no, 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 no. That's, that was a drug of choice. You know, the the drug of of. of Uh, any other drug that I got my hands on, you know, I used uh, tomazepam, diazepam, rohypnol. They were kind of like the pegging parts of the cocaine. So I would take cocaine, I would take downers to suppress the cocaine, I would drink alcohol to level the cocaine, and then I would take more. And then, of course, I discovered freebasing and crack, and then I discovered crystal meth. And, you know, it's just the, the natural progression. Like so anyone, It was. It was, natural natural, it was a natural progression, you know. Suddenly there'd be a new drug and someone, oh, you need to try this. And I'd be like, oh, oh, I don't like it. And then boom, Bob's your I'm on that for two years. Do you get what I mean? It was kind of like anything that could take me somewhere else like, than being in here and being in here.
0: Was there anything, anything that was too much for you? Anything that was too strong or that you said you didn't want to do? Crystal
1: Meth, the first time I did Crystal Meth, I just thought i never, ever touching that again. The comedown was so bad. I remember sitting on on Vauxhall Bridge, wanting to throw myself in, because I lived right by it at that point. And, and I was, like, sit, sitting there, and it was raining, and I remember just sitting there thinking, I can't do this anymore, I can't do this anymore, you know. And then I thought, oh, fuck, I ain't got any cigarettes. And I went, all right, so I went home to get my cigarettes. And, of course, once I got home, I sat, and had a cigarette, and I thought, I'm not going back out again. But, you know, it was like, it was like if it had been two more minutes on that bridge I probably would have jumped in. You know, because the come down was so severe. And I thought, you know what, I'm never doing that again. And and I wasn't the never doing the drug again. I was never gonna come down again from it. So I, I had every intention of still smoking it. But I just thought if I leveled it and worked it out so that I didn't have to come down, like I didn't do with cocaine. You know, people just go, Oh, you must have heavy come down. Never had a come down. I was always on it. Do you get what I mean? You know, as I say to people when I, you, you know, I used and abused drugs for 28 years, and there was never a point where I I wasn't on drugs for 28 years. I was on something which I even when I slept, you know, and I, I and you know, I knew that you know the the last five years I I would sleep in when I finally went to sleep, I would sleep in the recovery position because I was that scared that I was going to choke on my own vomit every night. It's so bizarre, so awful.
0: So. That's getting us towards 27 now, 27, 28, I'm going to guess. Yeah. Yeah, and then that's when you said it really started to turn into a, like a spiral out of control. Well,
1: well the, you know, the crystal meth didn't come until a lot later. So okay. the, crystal okay. meth was, the, the crystal meth was at the end of my drug using. Uh, about 27, 28, that kind of was like, you know, we'd gone through ecstasy, we'd gone back onto cocaine. Um, I'd moved to New York, I'd moved back from New York. I lived in New York for a year thinking that, okay you know because ecstasy was really good at that point in time in new york <laughs> so i thought oh i'm going to stay there and just thought You're stay traveling there for-.
0: around the world's on an uh, international drugs tour
1: totally 100 percent, because i could earn the money that i was getting and i couldn't command that money for those audiences and, um so yeah kind of like it, it kind of just gone from partying the party just didn't stop it, it kind of Went from party to three day binges, four day binges, and then the psychosis started and kind of I like started to lose the plot a little and kinda of would reel it back in and just think, I can't do this. And I would end up in really dark situations and end up in places that no human being should ever end up. And I kind of just thought used to think, Okay, I've got a real problem. This is a problem. So what I would do is we just change dealer or I would change the situation,
0: I would change the scenario, I would change circles of friends. So it's a proxy well, would, it's a proxy I, for making progress, isn't it? It's mm. it's, it's an analogy a, an analogous situation that works side by side with what could be moving forward, but it's not. It's just a it's just different.
1: Yeah, it's different. I used to call it hoovering out the hoover. Because you know, it's like it's like you know, you stick you 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 stick the nozzle of the Hoover into the Hoover bag, and all that's going around is the same old shit being regurgitated constantly. But you you feel that you're doing something about it. <laughs> um, people, i'm actually cleaning people feel,
0: people do that in all sorts of all sorts of ways right you know perfect we'll example let's go to another um area that i touch on a lot which is productivity a lot of people will talk about how they they've got this new nootropic or i've really worked out my my morning caffeine timing and i'm like dude you work with your phone on your desk next to your laptop like no, you're, no, right. you're sweating the small <clears throat> stuff um to talk about Psychosis and
1: micro dosing, yeah, yeah, bro.
0: You've got like you've got Twitter open on your laptop, that is not where you're doing your work. Um, I got a little story for you about Christoph, he supports Eric Prids at the moment. He's a oh, okay, yeah, yeah. DJ from the, the north of North yeah. England, I've known him for 10 years, phenomenal guy. And I had him on the podcast, and he yeah. um he was telling us about a story about when he was at the back end of his world tour and he'd been on tour, I think, for around about six weeks, and he went to bed in a hotel on the thursday night south america somewhere yeah. and he remembers looking at his calendar and thinking the next time that i get a bed proper bed is like tuesday it's thursday and he's yeah. got a gig uh, yeah. goes straight from the gig to the airport get on the plane get a couple of hours sleep do all this sort of stuff so um that finishes up at the end of a a, a long tour where he's kind of real intense and he doesn't have a tour manager either which is an interesting one for him so he plays this big show has this big high has all this energy goes back to the hotel it's him and room service on his own in a dark room right so he's got this incredible crescendos of up and down and then he gets back to newcastle uh gets into his house and essentially enters a, a state of psychosis that's um from everything that's happened over the last six weeks. Anyway, it's a morning time, about 5 in the morning, 6 in the morning, and he comes to, and he describes this situation. He'd been watching like QVC, late-night TV, because that's the only thing that's on at 5 in the morning. And he realized that his hair was shit. So he went to Asda, and he comes to to find himself sat on the floor of the toiletries aisle in Asda, and he's got one of every hair product out on the floor, and he's just taking a little bit and... Slapping it on his head and taking a little bit of this wax and slapping it on his head and taking a bit of yeah. this gel and slapping it on his head, and he comes to and he's like, "What am I? What, what am I? What am I doing here?" Ah, oh, uh, not too sure. Stands up, gets a floret of broccoli, forty-eight dishwasher tablets, and just walks out. And it was he was like, <laughs> and at that moment, I thought, "Do you know? I probably could do with speaking to somebody." I'm like mm. fucking hell, and you know that what? is that's just from sleep dep. Yeah. I mean, I used to
1: stay up for four or five days and I would be out. And I remember there was this one one time I was in Liverpool Street Station, train station, and I was with all my friends. I was like talking to people and and then they were morphing into the wall. And I was like, and I was like running after people going, oh, did you see my mate? And literally I was on my own. I don't know how I got there. I lived. I lived like uh, in Brick Lane at that point. It's a Liverpool Street station. Obviously, I traveled there to go home, but and I was like talking to people and then cars would pull up and I was trying to get in cars and the cars weren't really there. It was insane and it went on and on and on. I managed to get home. And I remember being in my flat and I remember my boyfriend saying to me, Tony, you do realize these people aren't here. And I'm like, what you you to about? I'm in the bed. I was in the living room having a party with like eight or eight or nine of my friends, all dancing and, and literally having a party. They weren't there. And I remember eating soup on the bed. And like, he was like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm eating. And he was like, Tony, you realize this isn't real. And he called an ambulance. And the ambulance come and they were going to section me. And they took me to the hospital and they did all these things. And luckily, it's because I hadn't slept. I'd gone into this state. My brain had completely gone. But I, it was at that moment, that, the two days afterwards, I realized why, how people get committed and how they get sectioned, where their minds go. My mind had gone. I'd lost my mind. And people were like, I was talking to people and they were like morphing, literally morphing into car seats, fucking mental and that was just from that was from being awake all that time and taking so much cocaine that my brain couldn't go my brain started and that was kind of at those turning points of where life had had suddenly got a lot lot a lot lot darker because you
0: know i was losing it i was losing the plot. even the most balanced among us i think are only five days of no sleep away Mm. from being completely Insanity. mental, from being yeah, that, that hobo on the street that shouts that shouts words and has poo on the back of his shoe. Like 100%. That, all of us are. And the, the thin line of sanity that all of us are, are kind of wobbling on, right? You're only mm. a, a couple of travesties in your life away from something sending you down a spiral. And the, the good word, the problem that I, I feel so much like sympathy for, for the, the that particular area of your career because – had you have had little breaks, had it have been like five years on, one year off, five years on, one year off, during that one year, you could have done some work, built up some resilience, you know, started to do mm. the introspection that you required to be able to do. But you know then- what,
1: if, like, Chris, if I'd had a year off and I went back to, into what I was doing, I would have died. Why? Because my body, would, my body wouldn't have been able to take the what, what I was doing again. Do you know what I mean? It's like literally... You know, my body had got so accustomed to what I was putting in it, it kind of built up a resilience. You know, (laughs) my liver, my kidneys and everything, you know, kind of become dependent on what I was doing. When you stop doing that stuff and you take time out, and, you know, addiction isn't something that you can switch off and switch on in that sense. So when I, if I, you know, say I got clean and I have a relapse, that relapse won't suddenly go back to one glass of wine and one line. It will go straight back to six grams of coke and smoking crystal meth all night where I left off. My body won't be able to take that. So my body will go into shock and shut down. And what happens is the organs can start to shut down and the, mind, the brain goes. That's what happens is what kills so many people. Let's look at Amy Winehouse. You know, her body couldn't take it. She started drinking again, and that's what happens. You know, it people really underestimate the power of of what the what alcohol and other drugs do to the body. Do you get what I mean? And kind of, so taking time out was never an option anyway. And
0: surprisingly, <laughs> surprisingly, actually, was one of the best, safest things that you could have done was not taking a break. Yeah, totally, that's, 100%. That's interesting.
1: You know, and I used to call it chemical scaffolding. It was what kept me... Because people were like, how come you're still a fucking, still up, still awake, still alive?
0: And it's like, oh, it's chemical scaffolding, of course. You've got these structures, you know, right, that, that aren't 100%. part of you, but, but that you're relying 100%. on. Yeah, I, I totally get that. So before we move on to kind of recovery and, and the rest of this stuff, mm. I wanted to ask what was one of the heaviest parties that you can remember going to might be the heaviest or just one that comes to mind
1: i kind of think every weekend when we did trade i used to be resident a club called trade which was at turn mills it's a legendary club and trade was the like club one of the first places in, in in the country that opened at 3 a.m and went on till midday and okay. it was uh yeah, you, you probably would have been, got that there, <laughs> yeah. Proper yeah, Proper Birkheim Berg, anyway, style stuff. They yeah. they, it was, yeah, listen, it, it, um, Birkheim had nothing on trade, trust me. Trade was like the mecca. It had like an alley called Muscle Alley, where well, the Muscle Mary's hung out. You had a heavy techno room with Tony DeVitt and all those guys. We did trade like, they had archways where you would queue up to buy your drugs, like proper dealer shops. It was insane. And trade was like... You know, it was groundbreaking, it was revolutionary, it was like the place to go. So, every weekend kind of would be
0: the heaviest party. And was do you that know you? What I mean? Were you playing there or just out? Yeah, there? I
1: was resident there, yeah. Got
0: you, got you.
1: At my own room called Trade Light. And uh, I would, you know, that's kind of where the Disco Jesus thing came from because we could turn seven records into a 12 hour set. Do you know what I mean? It was just like, but it was insane, you know. So, I mean, there was so many. And then I would leave there and go on all day Sunday, all night Sunday. To go to DPM and then all day Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So every weekend was kind of like that and then I would then after that there were other clubs that we started called Orange and Fire in London. We started all of those venues. They all come from my, my desire to take drugs, you know, um, and my friend's desire to take drugs. We couldn't stop, we, so we would create these after-hour parties
0: Speaking as someone who's been in the industry for a long time, and a lot of the people that are in it as well listening might get this sense. There's a lot of the things that you're talking about here that we now in the industry nowadays are trying to recreate, but it's Mm. like, it's the kiddies version. It's the nerfed version, right? So you were talking about um, the party, the, uh, the late night drinking club that's open 24 hours and then the police come and they shut it down and then everyone kind of runs around the corner and then they come back like Mm. there is secret parties that get done now but it's all that happens is you get issued it via text message at 7 p.m on the night and it's that's rave culture that's
1: rave culture we did that in the acid house days you'd go to a phone box and have to call a number and they would tell you where what field to go to (laughs) okay you've got to go 40 miles from here right when you get there go to another phone box and it was like You know, it was like being in Scooby fucking Doom. It was like trying to get to that phone box to find a field and then you'd get there. You'd be in a field for two hours, the police would come and raid it. 40,000 people would be sent home. And that's kind of what it is. That's rape culture. You know, people long for that today.
0: Yeah, People long for the thrill of that today. You you look at this now and, you know, like I say you have these sorts of parties but it's the tickets fucking sold through fat soma or ticket web or fucking ticket arena right like it's, like, like it's not it's not underground it's just right. yeah it's people yeah, yeah. it's people trying to recreate oh, that cool sense of the of the golden era right and it is it's kind of i know that it's tragic we, and it, it's I mean it's, you know, Ask, ask those people that are trying to create that to
1: name four of the tracks from that time that they're trying to recreate and the artist's name. And I'm, I guarantee you they don't know them. You know, they, 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 they read about rave culture. They dream about rave culture. You know, there's something really amazing. You know, at the moment with this lockdown and uh, the way we are, we all put in our houses, something really creative and magical is going to come from this. A really creative and magical because you know it's, it's times like this that some stuff starts to grow our juices flow in our brains and we think oh i've got a really good idea let's do this and you know st-
0: some really amazing stuff's going to come from this i saw um, um, jackie Morn, who's one of my good buddies yeah. just been out with roger sanchez in ibiza yeah. producing and um they're fucking they're producing tracks at 130 bpm because and they can fuck off <laughs> yeah, OK. <laughs> I'll, tell, I'll pass that on. Right I'll, I'll pass that on to him. But, um, you know, you know uh, in six months, 12 months time, there is going to be some ridiculous EPs. There's going to be some amazing yeah, books. there is.
1: You know, there's going to be, you know, all of that stuff's coming. You know, what's pissing me off the most about this is when I keep hearing these idiots. You know, I'm not going in saying any names, but there's certain DJs that are setting up petitions to so say we should have a seven day party. And it's like, fuck off, man. Do you understand that? nightclubs and pubs are going to be like the lowest of the lowest right down there on the on the on on, on, uh, the after
0: after cafes after restaurants
1: it's all got schools and colleges and 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 factories are going to come first it's going to be a slow turn we ain't going to see a nightclub open this year no way will we see open a nightclub of of ministry sound or any of those big clubs they're not going to open till october november december no way, this is not going to go away. It's like Italy and all these places. No club's going to open in Italy until there's a vaccine. They've already said it. You know, why would they go down, get, get it under wraps and say, okay, you can go out partying again. I know, you can go back to the gym and start spreading this again. It's not going to happen use your head there isn't going to be no big v day celebrations there's not what's going to happen is upper avenues are going to come out of it and it's not going to be live streaming from your bedroom but it's going to be upper avenues did to you go see on St.
0: did you see the defective live defected live yes, festival I did. now yes, that that is a shit hot way to do it i know everyone's doing live streams a lot of dj's are yeah, yeah. you know it it's getting I've been a bit did, old now, I did, but... but I mean,
1: I did one the other week for the Evening Standards. I did one last week for Harvey Nichols, uh, live from my garden. And this Friday, I'm doing a massive one, which is going to get released tomorrow. Oh. I'm doing Victoria Beckham's birthday party for the NHS. live from,
0: live a, virtual, from a virtual birthday party.
1: Yeah, it's her birthday. She wants to invite all the key workers in the NHS to her birthday party, via my garden. So I'm DJing for two hours set, playing all of her favourite tracks. Um, live from our garden for the NHS and people can donate and they can also download the next day. They can download the playlist and they can also download the, the set uh, and all the money goes to the NHS and key that's workers. Hilarious. So that's this Friday and that, that's going to go out just from her Instagram feed alone to 28 million. Uh, then from David Bees, I think he's got something like, 100 100, yeah, it 100 so
0: it's going to go out by his if they, get well. the, if they get the kids involved as well, I think the kids have oh, probably they're all, got a 20 mil twenty mil like They're all going to be
1: involved because they're all calling in to ask for tracks. So the whole thing is just going to level up and level up and level up. That's amazing. So man. we've been working on it for a week. So they get, they're going to release it tomorrow, which is Tuesday, um, the, the, the the evidence. They're going to release, like the, the press release, it's going to go out tomorrow. So I'm really excited about that. I can't just think, and then... I'm doing a one for British Vogue and that's it. I'm kind of just like, you know, this is my job. This is my career. I'm not a bedroom DJ. Do you know what I mean? Right now, um, everyone's
0: a bedroom. Well, you're a garden DJ.
1: I am a garden DJ, yeah. But you know what? <laughs> it's fine because you know, that's my career. I'm not I'm not DJing to 42 people on a live feed that most people do. Do you know what I mean? This is Taylor.
0: Taylor. So for the people that are just listening, there is a very, very nice doggo that's just been brought into the middle of the screen. I'm not. I, I'm sorry, Taylor. You don't understand my love for dogs, and now I, I'm not going to be able to focus on anything except Taylor's for. Amazing. Except for Taylor. Taylor is
1: uh, Taylor's fourteen. Wow. And uh, she's the savior of all of all life. She's the best thing in the world. Taylor has Such beautiful. an amazing spirit, and she's she's like everyone says that about their dogs. But trust me, Taylor. Taylor has this magic about her.
0: She's amazing. amazing. Well, I'm looking for. I'm looking forward to seeing her during the live stream. Um, I, the best thing that I've seen avid listeners will know what i'm about to say best thing i've seen so far in lockdown is my friend david coverdale who was supposed to be going away on a stag do to istanbul and his his missus organized a virtual stag do where he he had all of his friends on skype video call and he got dressed up he had the inflatable hat and they were drinking and they did the full night That was a virtual stag do and i was like that's fucking sick um before we go on, that's to- it,
1: but that's it, Chris. It's all about creativity, and it's about you know what we make the best of what we got, and it's about I think what people are forgetting in this whole lockdown is like I can't go out, I can't, go. I'm losing, I've lost fifty quid from not doing that job. Look at what you have got instead of what you haven't got, and you know what people are moaning about being locked indoors. You're not locked indoors. You're at home safe. That's the difference, do you get know what I mean? It's, it's not about being like, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that. Just, just
0: breathe, man. This is, this is a magical time. It's highlighted to me, the people that have a growth mindset and the people that don't. And the people that have that growth mindset, I'm seeing flourishing. In this situation, and the people that don't, I'm seeing stagnating and even regressing. 100,
1: percent, 100. percent. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's 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 fucking awful time. You know, I lost my one of my best friends this morning. My friend Debbie, she I'm passed sorry away this morning from this, and her mum passed away on Sunday, last Sunday. So her sister Jane, who I grew up with, has lost not only a mum but lost a sister in a week from this virus. And and then you have got these idiots saying, oh, you know, it's not real, it's not happening, and
0: and the blah blah blah. It's just like you know what. Don't get fuck off. Don't get me started on David Icke and London Real. Plans yeah, don't, don't,
1: so, so many of them. There's so many of these dickheads. And it's just like, you know what? You tell that to the key workers. You tell that to the people that are not being able to say goodbye to their own mums and sisters. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It really is. It's, it's just, you know. And, you know, and people. the sad thing is people are buying into it. It's like, what the
0: fuck? So there's this thing called compensatory control, right? It's, yeah. it's a, a, a psychological effect. In times of great uncertainty people will turn to uh, more spurious or more narrative based solutions so for instance someone that's given an uh, uncertain medical diagnosis is more likely to see patterns in meaningless static on a tv and the reason is that we would much sooner believe that the virus is going around because of the plan of some malign scientists or the transhumanist lizard people Whatever it might be, rather than just chance mutation. And that leads us to want to create these crazy conspiracies because it gives us, it gives us a semblance. It personifies the, the virus as the, at the behest of someone. Someone chose this to happen. Not just that it's fucking course, random yeah. chance, you know? Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, I, w- I want to ask if you were to go back, you might not even be able to remember this. If you were to go back and go across most of the, the big bits of your DJing career, and you needed to absolutely take the roof off with a track what are some of the tracks that you would drop from from back then
1: oh do 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 It's
0: like asking you to choose one of your favorite children oh, you know a it, bit. you
1: know it's, what it is, is when like you know when you ask someone what their favorite tracks are and, and you know straight away you, that person stops to think because they think if i say this it's going to sound like i'm cheesy if i say that you know there's there's tracks throughout my career that are that, you know, at the right time and the right place, you, you will take any roof off, you know, the, the old, all the classics, Robin S, we're loveless, you know, Alison Limerick, all of that stuff that I grew up with, that people think is cheese now are major tracks. You know, someday C. C. Rogers, In the Right Place. There's so many amazing, amazing electric tracks of, of, every, of every era, of every decade, that I just, like, go back to you know, that's what's so, I'm blessed. so blessed, with, so many of my sets that I play these days, if, especially for fashion, so, if, so I'm in house DJ now for Versace, so when I do that stuff for for Donatella, she wants all the old classics, so I can reel that stuff out, I had the most amazing time, you know, I couldn't, I could not pinpoint one track and say to you, that's it, because there's so many, mm-hmm. there's so many, so many, do you get what I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of just like, you know, I have my own personal favourites that I, I are that tracks that mi- that mean so much to me. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, that I wouldn't play out because I get too emotional.
0: Oh wow, yeah. I um, I think Christoph Kozie that I mentioned earlier on. I think he's got a couple of those where he struggles. He sometimes struggles to drop them because he gets too emotionally involved. Also, i have I'm going to put it it's, out there. Know, it's I'm- the biggest
1: drug. Music is the best and biggest drug I've ever taken. It has the ability to. To transport you to anywhere in the world and and, and to be with people that you' no longer with, are no longer with us, you close your eyes and you play that track they 're there and that's that 's the magic of music and you know when i 'm DJing and I, I, and i 'm very and I get one of those sets where I can take people on a journey, it always ends in tears always <laughs> you know because I yeah. will play a track and I just think hmm. You know, like Frankie Knuckles' Tears, I mean, come on, you know, who can't lose it to something like that? Or Barry White, Ecstasy by Barry White, it's just like, you know, they, that, those certain tracks can take me back to that mud-ridden field that I first heard them in. You know, the sounds of blackness, the pressure will take me straight back to Sound Factory with Frankie Knuckles when the first time he ever played it. You know, there's so many things that that I have so much... Euphoric recall around so many different tracks because I lived those tracks. It's not, I just, no one introduced me to them. I discovered them in a, with, a, with a lot of other people at the right time. And,
0: you know, that's the beauty of it. It's because it's more than the music, right? When you hear a track, and the people that are listening will know the old tracks, I think this is why we have particular nostalgia and why. So i just stop you there. Yeah. They're not old tracks, Chris. You know what I mean. Music doesn't get old. No, my point is tracks that People have, get old. People yeah, thinking of it. You know what? It, music music doesn't get
1: old. Music's timeless. The, the perfect track is, is timeless. It's not something that you go, oh, that's a really old track. Or that's... It's not old. The music's timeless.
0: Let me reframe. Tracks that have been with Please. you for a, for a significant duration yeah. of time. Tracks that have been with you for years. Because what you get... Well, the first time you hear a track, you hear the music and you hear the sounds and you get the emotional effect. But as you hear that track more and more, and you're experiencing something while that track is playing, that track, when it then gets played, is more than the music. It's the compounding of every experience and every time that you have heard that track. So, um, "Teenage Crimes," the Axwell remode of that, was my first season in Ibiza, 2010, yeah. and it's got that really haunting, beautiful kind of vocal. How old very- are you? I'm 32. It broke up then. You're know, what that, that's all I heard. Thirty-two. 32? Thirty-two. Yeah. Thirty-two. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um. Carry on. <laughs> uh, you just. Uh, I remember that because that was the year 2010. Was like peak Swedish house mafia. You yeah. know, it was when big house, big room house was kind of all around. Yeah. And that that track, man. Like someone can drop that track. Someone can drop Eric drop Eric Pridd's Opus, and I'll lose my yeah. shit. That big swell. Oh, cool. That big sort of ten minute thing. Because it's
1: stored back here. That feeling and that emotion's here. It's not here. This is stupid thinking. It's here. This is the part of our brain that wants to be loved. It wants us to be hugged. It wants us to have that feeling of euphoric recall from our first ecstasy we ever took. It wants all of that stuff. And that's where it's stored. And those memories are stored here. And as soon as you play that track and you go straight back to that point, do you get what I mean? It will,
0: you, it doesn't get better than that. It doesn't get better. It, it that, is, you, you know? know, and that's one of the one of the reasons why. But we spend I... a life. We spend our lifetimes chasing that. Yes, you do.
1: We do, and you know. Did, did you ever do Ibiza? You, did I do Ibiza? Yeah, of course, yeah, I did. Yeah, you
0: you didn't mention it. I, I think you haven't mentioned it today. Talk you, to me about. You know Ibiza. what? I did Ibiza in in eighty nine,
1: ninety, ninety one, ninety two, ninety three. I used to play amnesia. My best friends owned it, Sandra Sandra, Sandra and Ho, Sandrine and Jose owned it. And uh, this is before it had a roof. And I used to go over and I used to play with Alfredo. Um uh, we I first went to IB I first played in IB for an eighty in eighty five at Coup, then which is now called Privilege, mm-hmm. for a guy called Basilio. I uh, spent a whole summer out there. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've always played iBeef. I was there last year doing Glitterbox. Box. I'm there this summer doing Glitterbox If it happens. You know, for me, the island has, has so many memories. You know, there's, there's some amazing hidden films going around at the moment. There's one on YouTube where I'm interviewing Andy Weverell, uh in 1989 at Privilege, at Coup. Uh, no, it was at Amnesia. And me and Andy are talking. I went over in uh, in 89 with a film crew to Ibiza uh, and me, Danny Rampling and all that lot, we're all living in the same, we st- we were all staying in the same villa. And I interviewed everyone and we, we filmed the whole island. And then the guy that did the films. I don't know what happened to him, he just disappeared with with the films. And they've just started resurfacing now. Um, there's one on YouTube at the moment, the Andy Weber one um what can people Tony search what should Andrew, people
0: search if It's only
1: Andrew Weberall comes up 1989 uh at amnesia but you know there's like uh there's a there's about a whole week's worth of film footage like floating around i would love to get you know i know last not last year the year before they were showing them at pikes yeah 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 so i you know i want to find out who's got them someone, does. Sure, yeah, someone, someone does somewhere
0: but, okay so i want to i want to talk about recovery now yeah go you, on. you're in you're living this life in deep Kind of, it sounds like there's been some experiences that have been in stark contrast to the fun that maybe sort of teens into 20s into early 20s. And then it starts to become from, you said, use to abuse. Is there there an inflection point with this? Is it the meth on the bridge or is it something else or is it gradual compounding over time?
1: Uh, It just built and built and built and built. And, you know, what happens is with addiction, it it strips away and it chisels away your self-worth, your self-esteem. It leaves you with nothing. And it left me rocking backwards and forwards in a room, wanting to kill myself. You know, I lost everything. I lost my teeth. I I pulled all my own teeth out on crystal meth. I I went insane. And and what happened was, at the end, uh, there was a God-given moment one evening. I was in a club called The Cross, rocking backwards and forwards as I did. And my partner at the time came in. And, you know, he never came to that club. And it was a Friday night and I'd already been out for two nights and I just thought, I can't cope. Cause he would go to the places that I worked and throw glasses at me and drag me out. The- that night he didn't, he came And what he did do was he asked, he, he looked at me and said, well, what happened to you? And that was the God given moment that changed my life. I kind of just looked at him and I just couldn't answer the question. And when I tell this story, I do a lot because I do a lot of talks around the country and and, and you know within NA and other stuff. Uh, it always makes me it makes me want to cry because you know it was that God-given moment that changed everything. Um, and it was from that night I I then decided I couldn't go on because you know I didn't think about where I was going to be next week or. what what was coming in, you know, going on a holiday. All I thought about was my funeral. I thought about who was going to be at my funeral, what songs were going to be played at my funeral. Uh, And that was all I had to look forward to, was dying. And then suddenly uh, I decided that I didn't want to die. And I got help and I went away to treatment. I went away to rehab for six months. Um, And I came forward to London. Because, you know, when you're in treatment, they say, you can't go back to DJing. You can't go back to that life. You can't go back to that boyfriend, you know. <clears throat> you know, and I was like, well, I'm not going back to anything. I'm going forward to it, and I kind of I kept that momentum going. And I'm now 13 years, four months clean. Uh, I had nothing when I came into treatment. When I went to uh, at the end of my using, I had one pair of trainers and one tooth left. And today I have everything. Today I have freedom. I have an amazing house. I have, you know, I, you know. I've thin gifts beyond my wildest dreams. I have freedom. I can do whatever I want in life. I can't at the moment. Because I'm lockdown, but you right
0: know, now you're on Modern Wisdom Podcast, which is obviously exactly what you want to be doing.
1: Yeah, no, but yeah, but you know, I can do <laughs> but I had the freedom to do what I
0: want because, you know, I I'm, I'm not chained to anything. I've just I've just realized based on your timeline of recovery You've had your yeah. dog, you've had your dog Taylor since before yeah. you were clean.
1: Yeah, I have. Yeah. So Taylor was a guilt present for being out for four or five days. And I got Taylor as a present for my uh, then partner. And uh, uh, I remember getting home, and, you know, I had another dog called Reggie before that. And we wanted another dog for Taylor to keep him company. And we got Taylor and then I got clean and Taylor got pregnant while I was in rehab Uh but she, she got raped by the other dog, and uh, yeah. So basically, Taylor's been through everything with me. You know, she's that's what I'm saying. She she has this, this uh, spirituality about her that just is incredible.
0: There she is. There she is. So
1: you know, she knows every emotion. She knows every feeling. Uh, yeah. She's like, she's one of a kind, and yeah. So she's she's one of the joys of the recovery. She really
0: is. Do you think it's possible to do the DJing life as a young guy and do it in a well balanced way? Because I know yeah, f- how do you how do you do that? There's some DJs I, listening I who understand. maybe think I'm a I'm a uh, in an industry of excess, I get stuff for free. DJs DJs get paid well. Um some, some of them you some too well.
1: I just think that if you if you this is your chosen job and this is your career, you you look at it as your career. You don't look at it as a party. If you look at this, if you're in this because you want a party, then don't bother. You know, you're going to burn yourself out, it's going to end in tears. You look at this as a career and you have a passion for music and you have the love for music and you, you want people to, un- to understand your passion then do it for the right reasons, and you can do it constructively. As long as you're creative and forever moving forward, and not standing in one place, or being in the jam jar with the lid screwed on and going around and around and around, then you're not going anywhere. As long as you keep going somewhere, it, it, you can do this. You can do this, you know, you don't have to burn yourself out to do this for, your, for the love of a job. Because if you have, you know, the one thing that we all have in common is the love of music, you know, and, and I kind of think if this is your chosen career and you have, you're gifted within that career of knowing how, you know, some people play music and some people make music, right? A DJ, you know, isn't about playing music, it's about reading a dance floor, it's about knowing your art form. You know, I see so many celebrities coming along going, going, I'm a DJ now, you're not a DJ, you're pressing play. There's a total difference. You know, a, a DJ knows how to warm up a room. It knows how to take you on a journey. That's the difference. And I mean, if you, you don't have to, as I said before, you're not the party. you are there to facilitate the party. That's the, you know, And if you, if you stick to those rules, you can't, you can do this job without burning yourself up.
0: I think a lot of now the prevalence of increased competition amongst nightlife venues and social yeah. media which is a specialist tool which needs to be used i think there's a lot of uh-huh. a lot of promoters that might be listening who feel that they're the party i've always made this this analogy ever since i started you know like 15 13 years ago that there's two types of club promoters one of them are people who realize that they can make good money quickly from filling clubs and they have a capacity to it and yeah. there's a second type that are people who love to party and they've realised, fucking hell, I can get paid to get pissed. And the, yeah, the that- ones that get
1: paid to get pissed don't have the party too long because they'll lose the
0: party. That's it, man. That's the difference.
1: And, and the ones that want to make money quickly aren't around for long either. You know, the ones with the biggest egos, they've got to remember there's going to be another 30,000 other people with the same size ego are going to take their place. You know, it's, uh, it's a nightclub. Don't forget that. That's all it is, is a party. Do you get what I mean? You either do it well or fuck off. It's as simple as that.
0: Man, the, the problem is that people believe that it's this crazy transcendent experience, that all of this stuff's going on. And they start to believe they're on hype, right? Especially you've got these people blowing smoke up your ass, You've got drugs and parties and girls and guys yeah. and all the rest of, of it. Course. That's, that's all happening. But you're right. There is... And I've said this to every member of staff that's ever worked for us. There's like there's the Chris speech, right? When they get promoted, they become one of our junior managers. And the Chris speech says, mate, no matter how far in we get, how long you stay with us, whether you become full-time or whatever it is, don't forget that it's people getting drunk in a room to music and that's exactly all it's that. ever, ever exactly going that. to be.
1: And you know what? You're the promoter of a party, you're not the one making the music. The, the music's the most important thing in there. Don't treat your DJs like they're a bunch of cunts. Do you go?
0: what I mean? They're, they're the ones that are do, doing the they job. They treat us like cunts. Yeah, yeah DJ, but you know. DJ dickheads. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so final final few things now. Um, GQ said that you'd met Prince, Michael Jackson and Jay-Z and were totally unimpressed by any of them. Is that- no,
1: that's bullshit. Is that bullshit? Prince, that's bullshit. Fuck you know, GQ. Prince... Prince is one of the most amazing geniuses I've ever walked this earth. You know, how could you not be impressed by Prince? That's, that was my question. How can you, you know, jay Z I couldn't give a shit about. You know, i met so many people from my career. Just to hang out with Andy Warhol. These people are geniuses. Do you know what I mean? How can you not be impressed by these people or what they do? Mm-hmm. They're masters are there are. You know, Prince isn't someone that, used to, that went in the studio and got someone else to make his tracks for him you know he that guy produced everything that he ever touched played every instrument did everything how can you not be impressed by that
0: Do you know uh no so good. there's your answer good. of course i'm impressed good. good good man um i was in awe of these people so what's next what happens next
1: what's next uh there's a book i'm writing a book I have loads and loads and loads of mad offers all of a sudden. <clears throat> Lots of TV stuff. I'm starting a new TV channel uh, program. I'm doing a YouTube channel. Uh, I'm doing a, yeah, there's a lot of stuff coming up. Wow. You know what? Um, it's all creative and it's really, I'm not, you know, I've been asked to do a lot of silly things which I said no to. Too long in the tooth for that rubbish. Do you know what I mean? Um, but for me, uh, the most important thing is happiness. As long as I'm happy doing what I'm doing, then it, it will
0: work. What
1: is happiness to you now? What makes you happy? Happiness is being at home with my partner David and being at home with Taylor uh, and being in the moment, not chasing what something, looking for things that I don't, don't have. It, it's it's knowing I, it's no it. Happiness is knowing that what I've got right now is enough. Do you know what I'm saying? And and making do with. You know, it's not about making do, that's the, what, that's the wrong thing to say. You know, it's 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 about making magic with what you have, and that's what it's about. And you know, there's so many things that are coming. You know, people could go and say to me all the time, oh, the last three years your career has really took off. And it's like, no, it hasn't. It's like been the 13 years of sobriety and, and recovery that has enabled me to become the person who I was and who I am today. It's that person, and that comes from happiness. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm going back in the studio. Um, we have defected. There's loads of stuff coming up. There's, you know, there's some really amazing things that are in the pipeline.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. That's so, so cool. I'm
1: blessed, you know, I'm blessed. And, you know, it's, it's not about luck. Luck's winning the lottery. So, you know, being blessed. I'm, I'm blessed in the sense that I got a second chance at life and, you know, I'm not going to throw that away. And I think that every moment that we have is precious, especially today when when you lose someone, when you lose people in your life. And you just kind of reevaluate things. You no, know, because I don't need a drink or a drug to be an arsehole. I can do that very easily myself. But you know, I, but you know what happens is I have this part of my brain, this the the, the program that I work within. Narcotics Anonymous which is how I stay clean and sometimes it, it it takes a while to kick in and when it kicks in it gives me a boot up the else that I need to be your behaviours are off key or the way you're treating people the way you're treating yourself it's about self care and as long as I'm looking after this everything else falls into place And yeah so after lockdown who knows
0: man that's a beautiful message what a lovely lovely way to end it uh, thank you I, I'm really excited I think you know, there's a, a lot of DJs and people in nightlife who need to hear this kind of message. You know, I'm, I'm around you know, guys who haven't gone to the extremes, perhaps, that you did.
1: Yeah, um, I wouldn't recommend that. I wouldn't recommend <laughs> it. I know, you know, uh, people always say, oh, if there's a part of you that you could change, what would it be? And I was just saying none of it. Because you know that's my journey. That's who I am. That shit I went through. That shit I created. All of that stuff that went before is it's kind of took, brought me to this point in my life. And um, I think if I changed any of that, then I wouldn't be where I am today. In the sense of I wouldn't have found what it was I was looking for all that time without sounding like a really bad U two song. <laughs> uh, but you know what? It's kind of it's, it's um it's a it's a weird one. It really is. And yeah. Life has Can an we, odd way
0: of, of dropping serendipity on us a lot, doesn't it? There's some poetic, yeah, poetic irony that just keeps on looping around.
1: You know, with the, within when, you know when we we showed the film at Selfridges, we, we did six nights of preview for the film, and uh, each night we we had to go and talk, and you know it was like a cute little Q and A. And the guys were like saying it's not a, the film's not a story of pity; it's a story of redemption. And I kept thinking, why are they saying that? And you know, it was really, it really is a story of redemption and the sense. Of, you know, when you see the trailers for it, or you, they, they use like dramatic lines, like I spent a million pounds on, on drugs, they're not boasts. People go, how can you boast about that? Taking it out of context. They, they've used those lines just so it catches people, up, people's eyes. When you see the story, there's no boasting in it. That's not me boasting about spending that money. That's, that's a, far from it. I wouldn't, I'm not reveling in it. You know, um, it destroyed my life, you know. Um, but what the, the boasting about, there is no boasting in it. it where it takes you to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just blessed to be alive.
0: And I'm very glad that you are. Really, really Thank glad you. you are. I think the world's a brighter place because of it. So people want to find out more about you. Keep up to date with what it is you've got going on. Where, where should they go?
1: DJ Fat Tony on Instagram. Uh, my link, There's a link on there to my YouTube channel. Uh, I'm, I'm on Instagram 24 hours a day. My partner really don't hate the fact that I'm on there that much. You know, i kind of, you know, it's an addiction. It's a healthy addiction. Um, yeah, they're on my YouTube channel. Yeah, those are the two places you can always find me.
0: Amazing. Will be linked in the show notes below, of course. I recommend that you go and check it out because there are some fantastic memes. I think I don't think there's anyone putting out a higher velocity of memes than you are on Instagram at the moment. You know
1: what, like, Chris, I get so many messages every day of people saying to me, thank you, you're helping us get through this, thank you for your sense of humour. You know, it's kind of like that, the messages that I get from certain people, you know, so many messages every day. I reply to every one of them because someone's taken the time to re- to, to uh, message me, so they deserve to get an answer. And then like, people are really shocked that you you reply, that like, I reply. They're like, oh, my God, I was expecting you to reply. and stuff." like, cool. why wouldn't I? Oh, well i messaged david beckham and he doesn't reply <laughs> and i always say yeah. and i always say to david beckham you need to start replying to your messages <laughs>
0: yeah. david this, me is, this is a you problem david. they're all jumping shit why aren't you putting up more memes david why isn't your music track selection for your misses's birthday better and why aren't you replying to your dms that's what i want to know look man tony it. it's been it's been fantastic thank you so Thanks. much for coming on i'm going to look forward to the book coming out and to following your youtube channel um it's been brilliant if you've enjoyed yeah. the episode drop tony a message or you know where to find me at chris Wellex on all social media like share if you're new here hit the subscribe button but for now tony man thank you
1: god bless
0: thank you very much for tuning in if you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend. It would make me very happy indeed. Don't forget, if you've got any questions or comments or feedback, feel free to message me at chriswillex on all social media. But for now, goodbye, friends.